Hi everyone, welcome to the Local Bites Podcast. I'm Amin Yazdani, your host. It's not easy to start and run a local restaurant. There's a big upfront investment, tight margins, and lots of hard work. Some might say you need to be a little bit crazy to run a successful restaurant. Yet we all know amazing local entrepreneurs who take on this challenge every day. These people make our local communities stronger. Every week, I host one of these amazing people to share their story. This week, my guest is Mike Ayers, owner of Turnstile Coffee. Mike, welcome to Local Bites. Hi, me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, so, first of all, congratulations on 11 years of Turnstile. I know this year, uh, the Turnstile turned 11. What's the biggest thing that you've learned in, in over a decade of operating Turnstile? Yeah, and, and uh, in specialty coffee, 11 years is is uh, kind of mature. So uh, when I got into it, I live I live about an hour outside of New, New York City. In, in Midtown Manhattan, specialty coffee hadn't even arrived yet. It was in Brooklyn, and of course it was on a lot of West Coast cities, but uh, it not only wasn't in the suburbs, but it wasn't even in Midtown Manhattan yet. So 11 years uh, is kind of meaningful. I had run a business prior, and... I kind of applied those same things in this business, and uh, I try to I try to create an experience for customers, and uh, that's kind of what we live by. So, starting twenty eleven for with specialty coffee, why why did you start with specialty coffee? What was about it that that drew you into into that concept? Well, I had a prior career. I had a software company for twenty five years, and I had sold it. Worked for them for for the new owners for a couple of years. Along the way, towards the end, I, I had never even tasted coffee. And when 9-11 hit, I was traveling a lot. And I always liked to get to the airport early anyway, but the delays got very long in the airport. And so, you know, you're reading a book for an hour or magazines or studying and and got bored and saw a line at Starbucks. And I got in the line and never had tasted coffee and got a double espresso. And uh, it kind of changed things for me. The uh, I'm I'm sensitive to caffeine, so the caffeine felt good. And uh, I was into craft beer and really the more of the like uh, imperial stout taste, the darker taste. So espresso kind of reminds me of that. So I started tasting espresso here and there. And then when I ended up selling my company and I had time or left, I had time visiting coffee shops. And then one shop I visited, they were roasting, and uh, that's what started the uh, the interest in it. That is awesome. So you run a software company, and you never had coffee never had before. never had coffee, never tasted that, it. That is that is one of the the the, the things that almost unheard of. Forty five years in old before I, before I tasted <laughs> coffee. Yeah, there was a lot of soda at our company. The refrigerators were stocked full of ca- caffeinated soda. <laughs> That is awesome. So then, then take me take me through that journey because I think that journey is super super interesting. It's going to be super interesting for our listeners as well. Um, right after nine eleven, you're getting into those big lineups in the in the like you're staying in the airport for longer because of the delays, and now you're you just tasted coffee. Take me through that timeline of getting into all the, all the way to starting. Sure. The um, you know so then I would. Often in the afternoon, there really still wasn't a morning drink for me, but early afternoon, I would go have an espresso. Um, and that lasted for, I think I probably had the company for another uh, five years before I sold it. So still worked for them for a couple of years. So that's quite a few years. 
But when I ended up leaving and going to coffee shops and and saw roasting for the first time, I bought a, uh, I, I took a few classes, traveled the country. I had time, I had money. So I traveled the country visiting coffee shops and I took five or six classes over the course of two years and all the time was roasting coffee in my garage and buying beans from good roasters online and cupping, comparing their coffee to what I was roasting and learning how to cup. You know, with creating good coffee, it's it's really about tasting good coffee. So if you're a ro- yeah. you're, if you're a roaster, you need to learn how to taste. And uh, that's what I did for a couple of years before I opened. So five or, five or six classes, where did you go to, to find those classes? How did you know where to look for, for, for research? I just went online. I started with one right in, this, in New York City. I didn't even know there was an industry specialty coffee. And that's the class that kind of opened my, my mind up to what specialty coffee is. And, and that was on, in the basement of a, of a very popular cafe at the time in, in Brooklyn. And then there, I took a class up in Vermont, um, a roasting class. And then on the West Coast, I took three classes out on the West Coast. One tasting class, a roasting class, and another kind of combination of the two. That was over the course of two years. Yeah. Yeah. So what was about the roasting part of it? Because I have seen a lot of entrepreneurs that start a coffee shop and they are passionate about coffee, about giving really good coffee to their customers. And I have seen entrepreneurs that are passionate about roasting the right type of coffee. It seems like the roasting has been a big, important part for you. And I know that you guys do a lot of roasting and like wholesale on that side. What was about roasting that was super, so important for you to get into those classes and try different batches at home two years before you start? But in coffee, I have this passion for tasting coffee from great roasters. But I also have a passion for creating that coffee and, and roasting and learning how to take a bean and, and uh, get the best you can out of, the, out of, that, out of that bean. Uh, so, and then there's an advantage. If you're roasting and you have a cafe, I mean, one, you're paying less for the beans. So you can spend a, spend a lot more money on beans and, and create a great product. But you can also then sell wholesale to other cafes, which we do that as well and sell beans online, which we do that as well. So you've really got three businesses going there when you're a roaster. But if you're just a cafe, it doesn't mean it's not going to have great coffee. If they're buying beans from a great roaster, then it's, it's going to be a wonderful cafe. So, so you're running right now the cafe and also the, 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 uh, the roasting side of it. And as you mentioned, the wholesale and selling beans online are the two additional things that you can do when you're roasting your own beans. What is the difference? Like if we have somebody that's listening to, to this podcast uh, today and they have their own cafe and they're thinking about potentially starting roasting, what are the things that they need to know about the differences between running just a cafe and running a roastery and a cafe. Like, what are the things that you, you think is important for them to know before they get? So, so it starts with tasting, you know, and, and, and you do tasting uh, through blind cupping, meaning mm-hmm. you, you're going to brew coffee, several cups of coffee, but you mark the bottoms of the cups so you don't know which is which. And you mix mm-hmm. them around and you learn how to taste which coffee is better. And if you can't do that, then you, you really, there's no sense in roasting because anybody can brown beans. Just 
put them in the roaster and brown them. But with with coffee, it's not like a cake where you turn it to 400 and set it and forget it. It's you're controlling the heat all th- and the airflow all through the process to create the best best tasting. So you need to learn how to taste coffee first and then to learn the proper way to roast to get the most out of the, out of the bean. So if a cafe just buys any raw bean and just browns them, you'd rather go to a cafe that's buying from a good roaster, <laughs> you know? So, Absolutely. so Absolutely. you know, a good roaster is going to source the best beans they can, buy the best raw beans they can, and then get the most out of them through the roasting process. As a roaster, you need to source a good bean. You need to know how to roast them properly with, with, the, with the right recipes. And then, of course, then you have really good beans that you can make coffee from. Take me through that process of finding good sources of beans. Like, how, how did you find found your first source, or how do you find your your sources right now? Like, what are the things that you can you can share with our listeners? So, I mean, if I was a younger guy when I got into this, I probably would have traveled to all of the countries. You know, I probably would have went to Ethiopia and into the the mountains in Colombia. At this point in life, I I don't want to you know I don't want to do that. I have been I've been to the the best farms in Panama, you know, Panama has literally the best coffee in the world. There's, there's a certain varietal that grows in Panama. I think last year, the winning coffee sold for $1,200 a pound from this farm. Yeah. Wow. So um, I have been there. I spent five days there with a consultant. My daughter and I went. Um, but in general, I'm not traveling. What I'm doing is I'm relying on importers who are doing that work. But some of the best roasters in our country here are um, are traveling, are doing that traveling and making relationships with individual farms. I'm not doing that, but I'm buying great beans from importers that are doing that. So there's oh, dozens, if not you know, hundreds of, of importers. There are some very large ones, and I, I buy most of my beans from a large, one of the largest ones. But I also buy, you know, from time to time if I see something very interesting from whatever whatever importer but most of the beans are coming from one that i rely on the salesperson to to Mm -hmm. guide me and they'll send us and we'll try them and make sure but in general that salesperson we're very aligned and i can rely on on what they're recommending like anything else it's all about the relationship once you have built that relationship with them you know you trust them they will send you the best uh, beans that they have, and of course, the result is a great bean that starts producing. That's a great point. I mean, it's uh, it is really that that relationship. So instead, my relation is not with the farmer, but it's with the the yeah. importer who has the relationship with the farmer. It's just at this point in life, it's, it's easier for me to do that. Yeah. And and are you the head roaster for the for the turnstile, or do you have somebody else that is roasting? So in the you? eleven years, I started I started it. I was doing all the roasting. And about four years into it, my nephew was visiting from Florida and at Thanksgiving, and he never went back home. <laughs> saw, <laughs> saw the cafe. That's a good recruitment yeah. strategy. <laughs> That's, uh, he saw the cafe and got interested, and then within a few months, he was roasting, and I taught, I taught him what I learned from those classes, and, and he's taken it even further. So he does all the roasting now, yeah. How do you keep up with the the latest and the greatest in the coffee roasting industry? Like, 
any new, like, I don't know if, if there are new techniques, if there are new uh, things that you need to do and, and continue learning. How, how, do you, how do you do that when you have been in business for so long? So like many industries, coffee, specialty coffee has a very strong association, worldwide association. You know, I came from the pest control industry. I sold software to pest control companies. And the association was everything. I mean, and, and you had trade shows that you went to and learned everything. It's the same in specialty coffee. So it's a very strong association. They've got online resources, but they also have this wonderful annual trade show where the best um, vendors, manufacturers, importers come. And it's just, you know, it's an amazing three days of, of learning. So that's one way. And then, of course, you know, supplement that with online during the year. Lots of YouTube, mm-hmm. YouTube and um, podcasts. And so it's that pretty, pretty awesome. easy to keep current. That is great. What other question about education that I had? I wrote down this for myself because you mentioned when you started Turnstile, specialty coffee is not as popular as it is today. So what, what I was thinking about is that now you, when you're starting a, a new thing like that, you need to educate your customers. So it's not just educating yourself and know how to do it. How did you go about educating your customers about the differences in different type of coffees that you provide and why it's different from the other things that they've, they've, they've used to drinking in the past? So, um, you know, sometimes you can be ahead of the curve, you know, too, you can be too soon with something. And I'm yeah. in a suburb of New York and we were kind of ahead of the curve. And so it was yeah. a little slow in the beginning. Uh, people didn't understand what we were doing. Today, a lot of people understand it, and I have a, a lot more competition around here now. There's a lot more stuff, but the the um, the level of awareness has risen so much that we're much busier. Even though there's a lot more competition, everyone knows. In the beginning, I did I did a a one hour. You know, I, I was used to giving presentations in my prior career. Uh, I would often speak at these annual trade shows, and. Um, I put together a one-hour presentation on specialty coffee, and people would I would charge them a nominal fee to attend, and and gave, gave it right. And I had a overhead projector and slide, you know, slides. And at the end of the class, I taught them enough that we presented them with three cups of coffee that were marked on the bottom, and uh, they didn't know which was which. And 90% of the class could distinguish which one was from Latin America, which one was from Africa, and which one was from Indonesia. And so... Oh, that is yeah, awesome. It's a, it, it, they were all surprised that they, you know, just by sitting <laughs> through that class and talking about it, they could learn enough to get in one hour to, to taste that and see the differences. So I did that a lot in the beginning. I don't do it anymore. I also found that it kind of takes the mystique away from people too. They, they almost you know, walk away. I said, okay, now I know all about that. And, and, uh, it's maybe sometimes more interesting for them to just to come to the cafe and, and, and just chat and get, get knowledge that way. But we don't, yeah. we don't preach in the cafe, um, because there's a good number that don't want to know anything about, us, but they just, they're there because we mm-hmm. provide a good experience. Uh, we've got good service and we've got delicious coffee and they don't, care that it's specialty coffee so we don't preach but as soon as they ask a question or if we see an opportunity then we will teach as much as they want to learn in the in the cafe my I have a staff uh, probably half of them are very knowledgeable about specialty coffee 
That is that is so great. It's it, it to me that is sort of like what what you need to be able to bring a new niche and like make it mainstream really uh, is about that educating and being open to share the information with the, with with people that are coming in. Of course, you need a great product, you need great service to be able to to get there, but but also you need to be open to educating people, which it seems you guys are doing a great job and you did an amazing job there. Um couple of questions around the, the cafe and then I want to go get into a little bit of the wholesale because you are such a you have such a unique position. I think both sides of it has a lot of things uh, to learn for our uh, for our listeners. On the cafe side, what do you do to make turnstile unique other than the, the, the beans that you're, you're, you're roasting yourself? How do you make that experience unique for your customers so they can come back more often? That's a, that's a, that's, that's a good point because we, we do try to address each type of customer with the way our, our uh, counter is set up. So for those that are, you know, most coffee is sold in the morning. First of all, so um, you've got the on a weekday morning, you've got commuters that are on their way somewhere and they want to know that they could pull into the parking lot and be in and out of there within a certain number of minutes. There, as long as it's consistent, if they know it's 10 minutes, that's fine. Ours happens to be, you know, we staff that we overstaff in the morning to make sure we're getting those commuters. That's when most coffee sold. So. For those customers, we make uh, we have a house blend and we make it in a large batch. Uh, not real large, you know. Uh, we, every fifteen minutes or so, we're making a new batch, large enough that mm-hmm. when they come in, we can quickly pour them a cup of coffee and they're on their way. But we also have a pour over menu, a menu of high mm-hmm. higher end coffees, coffees that we've spent a lot more, sometimes up to three times as much as your standard specialty coffee. And they could choose from that menu and we'll do a, a pour over an individual cup for them. You know, pour over doesn't always mean that it's better. The coffee has to be better. It's just that you can make yeah. one cup. That's, that's the benefit of a pour over. The batch brewer makes delicious coffee, but you can make one mm-hmm. cup. And for those people that aren't in quite a rush or are really into coffee, they'll choose that. So we, we're addressing both audiences with that. And then, of course, we also have delicious espresso and very talented baristas to make espresso and, and the espresso drinks such as a latte or cappuccino. Uh, and then, you know, just at that register, making sure that it's we're getting the order correct and making sure that we're delivering in a consistent time. So, And that's, that's super important. I think that consistency, that, that is one of the things that a lot of places uh, lack after a while, after they, they get their customer base. They will lose that consistency, and I, I'm happy to hear that that is uh, so important for, for you guys. Um, what about on the wholesale side? You mentioned that you sell to other cafes. Why do you think those cafes are coming to Turnstile for their coffees? How do you serve them? Because like you're basically selling to your competitions, uh, uh, for lack of a better term. Right? I, I would like I would likely sell if one 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 wanted to open up across the street. I would likely sell to them. I would I would probably not have a yeah. problem in doing that. Um, yeah, they are. They are in a sense our competition. It's that uh, specialty coffee has gotten so popular that you're going to find them several in each town, and so it's good. And I do try to give some exclusivity to to those cafes if they're in an area not to serve as a, another one. We've built a rep- you know in eleven years we've built a pretty good reputation. Uh, we've gotten some very high. There's a uh, an industry 
um, business called Coffee Review that reviews coffees, and we've you know we've gotten some pretty high scores on Coffee Review, and so we built a pretty good reputation for delivering quality coffee. And we've established these relationships with with our wholesale accounts, and they'll you know order up coffee. Cold, we even deliver them cold brew and kegs, and uh, and then we do the we deliver for that for those customers. What's the percentage of your, your business that is actually wholesale versus the cafe? Like which one of them is more important to you? Well, I would love to grow the wholesale business. I've just, uh, you know, if I, again, if I was a younger guy, I'd probably be out there pushing it a lot harder. I kind of let, let it come to us. And so it, it's probably uh, 15% of the, of the business. Mm-hmm. And you know, online online ordering is is a, is a you know another decent percentage of the business. That's awesome. Um, how how do you find those cafes that are looking for your beans? Like, are they coming to you? Are they are you selling somewhere else? They're they're coming. They're coming to us. They're coming to us. I mean, it's it's uh, well documented on our website. Uh, so if they're out there searching for a wholesale in our area, they're going to see us. And then again, we've got a pretty good reputation. The area we're in is um, it's called the Jersey Shore, but it's not the Jersey Shore that the, there was a television show. That's in <laughs> South Jersey. We're 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 uh, you know a little north of that, but uh, it's a couple counties, and uh, we've got a pretty good reputation in this in this area. So they're mostly coming to us. Change of gears. I wanted to tap into a few things that I saw on your on your website, uh, and um, one of them was um, the takeout window that you guys made during the, the COVID, because that seemed to be very unique with what you, what you guys did very very quickly after the, the pandemic hit. Maybe take me through the whole pandemic. What happened? What were uh, going through your your mind at that point in time, and how did you come to to create that that takeout window? Good. Um, so the day it, it hit, we were still allowed to be open, but it was a Sunday morning. Our governor had made an announcement on Saturday. We were still allowed, coffee shops were still allowed at that point to be open. And we had pushed, set up tables in front of our counter to keep, but it just didn't, you know, it was the first hour on Sunday morning and it didn't feel right. And so I decided to close it down. And for a day and a half, I'm just trying to decide what I should be doing. In the meantime, the Starbucks in town had a line of cars down the highway. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how can this be? You know, I can't have a drive-through window. I don't have the, you know, it's very hard to get that in a in a town in my parking lot. It's it's not. Uh, it couldn't configure a, a drive-through. So I'm, I'm thinking about this Starbucks. I mean, it literally was down the highway, the line. People must have been waiting an hour for a drink. So I created a walkthrough. You know, I, I did exactly what they're doing. I turned one of our windows, it was back by the roaster, into an order window. And then the front door, I had a customer that helped me build a kind of a temporary door so we would open our real door in the morning and and on hinges swing this kind of plywood we painted it stained it it had a pop-up shelf it had sliding plexiglass windows and then we would close that in place so we had an order window and you'd walk down a little it was just like a drive-through but you walk through it was such a hit it's 
such a hit that I didn't I didn't stop it for a year and a half. I mean, well, well into when we could have opened back up, I didn't. Uh, I was kind of afraid. You know, sometimes in business, you don't want to touch something. You know, you don't want to mess it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, and it got written up, uh, you know, radio stations and newspaper. I mean, uh, the local uh, web newspaper type thing covered it pretty well. You know, we've got some good articles, good coverage on that. It was wildly successful. And we and we, and we we put a microphone at the pickup window so we would announce it and it would blast through the parking lot. And people <laughs> loved hearing their name over the, uh, over the microphone. It, it, was, it was good. It worked out very well for us. How, how long did it take you to actually come up with the idea and actually build? So we closed that Sunday morning. We closed. And on, by the end of Monday, I'm thinking this is what we want to do. We started it on Tuesday. And I think we opened it Friday morning, you know. So, wow. uh, you know, on Amazon, they you know, they had a, a bank teller speaker thing that we <laughs> – push through the window so there's a little speaker we got the credit card thing on the outside so they could swipe their card there's a speaker through the window uh and then that front pickup window so by friday i think it was friday morning we were in business and it took off that is awesome and, and i saw a video of that so we're going to be sharing that in the in the notes so if anybody's interested to see that that uh set up i think just just check out that that link in the in the video. And then the other thing that I wanted to tap in again, we are getting so close to the Christmas and the holiday season. How do you use special events like Christmas to promote your coffee? Do you have a special programs, a special sort of drinks that you bring into your menu? Do you have a special, like, because you do online sales, do you have like a special set of coffee that you sell on, on your, on your website? How do you use events like this? To, to get more promotion of, of your coffee? So I'm such a purist with coffee, much like craft beer. I don't like additives in the beer except for the four main ingredients of beer. And uh, I'm such a purist with coffee that we tend not to create crazy drinks. Part of it's laziness too, I think. So, you know, I should be a little bit more ambitious with that, but we that's not... So, yes, we do, you know, make a pumpkin spice latte and we do have a chocolate mint something for christmas time or a holiday time but that's not really what we're pushing but what we do have is we do a holiday blend every year that's quite popular so we sell that by the bag or they can buy a cup and then what's uh what we're kind of known for in the area we create these gift boxes uh it started with uh gift baskets but Gift baskets are very hard to wrap. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And they're very hard to ship. Again, just watching other businesses, gift boxes are fantastic. You know, you put it, you have a beautiful, we get this beautiful box design and with a little uh, packing stuff in there. And then you just put everything in and close it. And it's just, it's so easy to make and so easy to ship. So we do a great uh, gift box uh, business. We have a couple, two sizes. And uh, we'll have businesses order some for their customers or we'll have individuals buying them for local and for also for shipping out. So that's that's our uh, our holiday approach. And it, it ends up turning out to make December, you know, I'm in this shore area where we're very close mm -hmm. to the ocean that uh, summers are by far our busy July and August are generally twice as busy as January, February. 
But December is a big month just because of that. Yeah, that is something that I'm uh, I'm tracking with everybody. Like I'm talking with everybody that I'm talking to right now is because I want to give ideas to all the other coffee shop owners, roasters that are out there about like what are the things that other people are doing so they can see if that's the right fit for them. So thank you sure. so much for sharing that. For for sharing that, um, Mike, uh, you've been in business for eleven years. Of course, there's a lot of lots of ups and downs in in any business. What what are the biggest challenges that you've had to face in in that eleven years that you want to share with our with others? Well, it's probably the same as anybody's going to say these days, and it's staffing. You know, even in my other business, it was never it was never customers. It was always staff, and that was when you know um, it was a, probably a different employment market back then. Although. You know, hiring programmers. Well, who am I going to? Who am I talking to here? You, you must know. Hiring programmers has always been uh, a challenge, right? You're making sure you're getting good quality and and people programmers that are staying. So now it's a little different. You know, a lot of times the the jobs in a in a coffee business it's transitional. They're they're generally the staff is on their way to somewhere else. So they're between mm-hmm. degrees. They're between moving somewhere, and so it's. Uh, I think a larger percentage of the staff are transitional, so that's that's a bit of a challenge. Uh, I happen to have two daughters working in the shop. I have my nephew in the shop, so uh, <laughs> and I and I've got a couple of you know employees that have been there quite some time. So that that helps to have a good core of of people that carry through. And then you can, in the summer, we're much busier in the summer, but that's when college students are home. So it's easy to hire then and students are off to school. Yeah. Um, so it, it works out okay. But I, I've had other coffee shop owners come in to ask opinions before they've opened, you know, ask questions. And I, I remember one about a month after we, uh, they opened, or maybe it was a couple months, call me and say, how do you how do you staff it? I said you need to have more babies. <laughs> you, yeah. you need to have more family. So uh, other than recruiting from family, what what are, what what's your number one advice for people that are that are starting their coffee shop around staffing? What should they do or not do to make sure that they have the right staffing strategy in place? Especially with the time, as, as you mentioned, we are hearing that from almost everyone that the staffing is a big issue. For yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, in general, my, my hiring approach in a way hasn't changed from when I had my technology company. And that is when I'm, when I'm talking to someone, I don't, I don't really care as much about the experience as I do um, what, what experience they have in, in this business as I do care. Do I think they're going to care about my business? And do I think that they'll stay for a reasonable amount of time so that if I'm investing in them, I get to recoup some of that investment. And if they're going to, you know, treat our customers good, I think, you know, whether I'm consciously doing that or not, when I'm interviewing, I think those are the things that are going through my mind. Is this person Mm going to be around and are they going to care about, care about the business? So I think that's, that should be the priority versus did you work in a cafe before? You know, we could teach that, right? Yeah. So One last question. Uh, and uh, this is uh, something that I ask from, from everybody that, that we have on the podcast. And this is about a piece of advice to somebody that wants to start 
open their own coffee shop or in your case roastery what that piece of advice would be if you were to give a piece of advice to yourself 11 years ago before you start turning start what would that be okay so my advice is going to be very strong about the coffee side about specialty coffee and about learning what it is and how to taste it um because that is going to be certainly you're going to do good service but you know, everybody should be doing good service, right? Everybody should be trying to create that experience. Not everyone does it, of course. But, <laughs> but that's kind of going to be a given that you're going to do, you're going to deliver good, a, a good service. But what you can distinguish yourself is understanding what good coffee is. Because whether that person mm. coming through the door knows that it's called specialty coffee or not, it's still going to taste good. And, you know, when they get in that car in the morning, the car is going to say, we're going back to that place uh, because I, I know that that coffee was good. Whether it's a conscious thing or not, uh, they know it. And if you don't know how to taste coffee and you don't know what good coffee is, you're never, you're never going to have that aspect of it. And that's what can distinguish you from, because there's a lot of competition out there from every other shop. So it's, it's understanding what specialty coffee is and learning how to cup, learning how to do that blind cupping and, uh, and getting, being able to figure out which, which co coffee is better. I think that's, I would start there. That is that, is that fair? Is that, is that, make that sense? is, that is very yeah. fair. That is very fair. Good. And I think that's a really good, good advice as well, because there's always advice around how to run a business. There's always advice around, uh, how to, uh, do something special for your customers. But what you're saying is that just focus on making sure that your craft is done well. Yes. You, you know your coffee, you can make make the right type of coffee, which is absolutely, I think that's that's super important. So. Mike, thank you so much for the amazing conversation and for, for sharing your time and knowledge with, with Local Bites Podcast. It was amazing talking to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. 